Welcome to this virtual service at Westchester Chapel. Thanks for listening to this message that comes directly from God's Word. To hear more, visit westchesterchapel.org and click on Media. Now grab your Bible as we dig into it together. It's always uh, interesting to me how uh, people struggle over how to explain the walls coming down in Jericho. There's a myriad of things that they say actually caused it from earthquakes to you know certain kinds of uh, physics laws that say, okay, well, this happened and this happened, so they had to fall the way they fall. Uh, there's archaeological evidence to, to show how they fell, and but no one can really explain it completely, and no one can explain it as God explains it, that's for sure. So it's interesting to see the struggle over how it happened when you and I know how it happened. Uh, God did it. And so that's the way we enter our message today. God's power to do what he wants to do and the way he wants to do it. And if you look at how it was done, the fall of Jericho, you, you see these various things happening. You see a lot of things talked about. And it says in, in six one, Jericho was shut up inside outside because the people of Israel, they were actually very fearful of the people. None went out, none came in. It's a, it's a picture of, of it actually being so tight that nothing can get through. So this was, this was beyond what they could imagine they would have to uh, take down. And the Lord said to Joshua, see, I've given Jericho into your hands, which is very interesting because it's, it's a whole different way to see things here it's yours. It, it wasn't really taking the city, it was really accepting the city from God's hand. You shall march around the city, all the men of war going around the city once, you shall do it for six days. Seven priests shall bear seven trumpets, horns, and before the ark on the seventh day you should march around seven times, priests blowing all the horn, all the trumpets, and then make a long blast with the ram's horn, and you will hear the sound of the trumpet. Then all the people shall shout with a great shout, and the wall of the city will fall down flat. Those were the instructions that, that were given to uh, Joshua for the fall of Jericho. And so Joshua, it says in verse 6, So Joshua the son of Nun called the priests and said to them, Take up the Ark of the Covenant, let the seven priests bear the ram's horns. And he went through all the instructions that God had told him. Uh, to do. So I have to step back a little bit and say, what did the people inside really feel as this was happening? So imagine you're in a, a home or a house somehow that, that is surrounded by enemies and they just keep walking around you and going away with very loud blasts of horn. They walk around you again and go away. And they do it a couple times. You go, okay, when is this going to happen? And they do it again and again and again. And it gets stranger and stranger that nothing is is happening and then that last day they keep going and going and going and then it becomes extremely loud with all of the horns blowing the people shouting uh, the wall collapses without them even getting near it they're not even close to it and uh, all of this happened in such a miraculous way that it has to say something to us about what was really happening. I want you to see if you stood back from the story, I want you to see that really what it is, is it's a, it's a worship service that takes down a wall. 
It's exactly what it was. In the tabernacle, these are all things that were used. The priests were there marching or participating, doing what they do. The trumpets were part of, of what they did, part of the, the worship. They would call people to worship. It was also a, a signal for battle. They brought the ark uh, with them. The presence of God had to go with them into the battle. You're, you're basically seeing a worship service that has destroyed an enemy, which is an interesting way to look at it. And even more interesting, it's, it's a way that the Lord has told us to do our battle for the city that we're in. And uh, that's even more eye-opening, isn't it? To, to say, okay, this is going to be how we do it. Yeah, this is going to be how we do it. But it's not that the worship service is the key in all of this, because God really did that. And that's the key, knowing he did it. What really is the key in all of this is the preparation that he gave to the people that carry out the plan. It's not the plan. It's the preparation of the people is what he's concerned about. When Linda and I planted the church, we were doing everything that everyone told us to do. We were ready. We were planning. We were, had all the things. All our ducks were in a row. We had uh, fake plants, and a lot of them made it look very, very nice. Uh, we had cribs uh, that can't remember if they were ever used in the time, but we set them up every single time. And, uh, you know, sound equipment. We had, you know pretzels on the table. We, had, we did everything. I mean, there, there was nothing that was missing as we set up our church in the YMCA week after week after week. We had it all set. Unfortunately, we were not prepared at all for what God really wanted to do. And 35 years later, we're learning this lesson. It doesn't really matter how prepared you are or how, how planning has helped you to do whatever you're trying to do. If you're not prepared by God to actually the work, the plan that he wants worked. And that's the frustration that many of us have in our lives as we face things uh, many churches have, is they miss the preparation part because it's just more fun to plan. It would look great every time we put, put the, the fake plants up. You know, it, was, it, it looked like, wow, this is a church. But it makes nothing, doesn't make any real difference if we don't have what we need inside and we're not dealing with God in a way that he wants us to deal with. So let's jump up to 513 and see what really was the issue. It wasn't the, the plan. Well, we'll have a plan too. There'll be plans. There always has to be plans. They have to be God's plans, but it has to be people who are prepared to carry out God's plans. That's how it works. That's how scripture works, story after story after story. It was God's people being prepared that carried out his plans. So let me read to you Joshua 5, starting at verse 13. When Joshua was by Jericho, he lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, a man was standing before him with a drawn sword in his hand. Joshua went to him and said uh, to him, Are you for us or are you for our adversaries? And he said something strange. He said, No, I'm here as the commander of the army of the Lord. That's who I am, and now I've come. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshipped and said to him, What does my Lord say to his servant? And the commander of the army the Lord's army said to Joshua, Well, take off your sandals, 
from your feet, from the place where you were standing, the place you were standing is holy. And Joshua did so. So there's our model. That's really what God wants to do in us so that we can accomplish what he's wanting us to do with taking the city. And it's a little different than what we may think. And um, that's okay with me. I don't, I don't mind that. I see him doing different things throughout scripture. We are people of the odd. We, we do different things. We don't do things like the world does the things. So let's look at this a little bit more closely and just uh, see what we can glean from this about how we're prepared as a people to carry out what God's plan is for us to do our mission, which one of them, one of the big part of what we're called to do is to take the city we live in for him. So let's see. Joshua was by Jericho. He lifted up his eyes and he looked and behold, there's a man standing before him with a drawn sword in his hand. Okay, so first of all, Joshua is there. He had come through a tremendous amount of uh, activity since then. Moses has tried to bring the people uh, who had left in slavery from Egypt into God's promised land, but in fear they refused to go. They would not go. So he turned around. He, he went for 40 years, this last generation, until they basically died in the desert. Their children were left. Joshua eventually took over after Moses died. And then he said to them, these are the people that we're going to bring into the land of milk and honey. 40 years after he intended, but you know what? God gets his job done. So Joshua took them over the Jordan in a miraculous way, uh, like the Red Sea. It parted miraculously, uh, confirming that Joshua was the leader that they were supposed to be following. The new, the new generation then went through three really quick things to get them prepared. First of all, they had to be circumcised, <laughs> a confirmation of the covenant with God. It had to be done. Probably wasn't the most comfortable thing, but they had to do it. And so they had not had, that had not happened in the desert because these were all the next generation. So Joshua made that happen. They celebrated Passover. Significant. God said they needed to keep celebrating Passover to, to give God the glory for what had happened, for their freedom, that they realized that they were free. They, they were not slaves anymore. And then they had to live off the produce of the land, which, which God promised them. That was another thing. They had to know that this place was going to provide for them. And then they had to take the land for the Lord, and it had to start at the first place where they entered, where, jo where God sent them over the Jordan. There in front of them was Jericho. Now, I want to stop for one second, and I want to say uh, this about how Joshua was operating. He was somebody that was different in, in Scripture. He was somebody who was close to God from the beginning. He would, he would hang out at the tabernacle with the Lord even after Moses left. There was a closeness to God that he had that's throughout his time. And he was just different than, than uh, many of the, the characters you see in, in Scripture, the main characters. So first of all, let's, let's give an example of what that may uh, look like. So first of all, the way this was done, the way this story was just done with a person showing up, a, 
a uh, divine messenger showing up uh, and then talking to a person and then these people having a response. That was done over and over and over again in Scripture. Abraham was told he's going to be the father of multitudes. He didn't really believe it. And so a, a, a messenger came to him and Sarah was told she was going to conceive a son and promised by God, Abraham fell on his face and laughed. He didn't fell on his face and worshiped. It's in Genesis 17, 15. So Abraham, as much as he had this promise and he had the same divine messenger, he was laughing at what God was telling him was to be done. Jacob, you know, the same thing. He was filled with fear over Esau and all that was about to happen. And uh, so a man came to him also, a divine messenger, and, and they had a, you know, he basically said, you know, okay, well, let's have it out then. And he wrestled with God, demanded a blessing, and got a name. His name was, he strives with God, which is not necessarily a good thing to be called. And then Moses also had a divine messenger come. And he first started by seeing the flaming bush and walking over toward it. And the messenger talked from the bush there. And Moses didn't think he had what it would take. God was calling him to something bigger than himself. Abraham bigger than himself. And he didn't think he could do it either. And Moses argued with God. So um, the first thing I want to tell you is this. Don't laugh, wrestle, or argue with God. It's just not good. Don't, don't laugh, wrestle, or argue with God. Joshua did it completely differently. You don't see any of that here. He dealt with this divine messenger in a different way, which is part of our preparation. Don't laugh, wrestle, or argue with God is our first thought. So after this, let's just see how it all takes place. So in what we're seeing here, um, he, Joshua was by Jericho. He lifted his eyes, looked up, and behold, a man was standing before him with a, a sword. There he was. The same scenario dealt with Abraham, Jacob, Moses, divine messenger. And a curious thing happens. Joshua was a warrior. He knew what swords meant. And do you see what he did? A man was standing before him with a drawn sword in his hand, and Joshua went to him and said, it doesn't say Joshua pulled out his sword. It doesn't say anything except he walked toward the man to find out what was going on. Knowing Joshua, he had been around the supernatural all of his life. I'm sure he realized that there was something else going on here with this man and this sword. People just don't appear in the middle of the desert with a sword drawn. First of all, a sword drawn is only mentioned two other places in Scripture in its particular way, and it always means divine judgment. He would have known, I better be careful here with this, but I want you to see he didn't run away. God showed up, uh, and we'll find out why it is God in just a moment, but he showed up in this form of a, a messenger, a divine messenger, a man standing before him, and the sword was in his hand, and it caused Joshua to go toward him. That's odd. That wouldn't be how we normally do it. So I want you to know the second thing, to prepare ourselves. God's servants move toward God. In the challenges of our life, which is the context of all of this, we have tremendous challenges in each of our lives in various ways. Uh, they differ 
from family to, to work to, to situations that are innumerable. They're all challenges in various ways, and sometimes they're more intense than others. But in the middle of them, often the people that are servants of God we see in Scripture go toward God in the middle of the thing they don't understand. David, when he, when he uh, sinned, he repented and he met, went immediately to worship. How many of us sin, try to repent, and then we want nothing to do with God? It's a little embarrassing. It's shameful. We put it aside. Not David. David went back to God. Servants move toward God. Paul's first question, when confronted by the light on the, the road to Damascus, he didn't cower and say like, oh man, this is, uh, get me, he said, who are you, Lord? Curiosity. Servants move toward God because they're, they're curious about what's being done, what's being said, what the situation is. They want to know. They move toward God to find out. They don't run away. Thing I really don't want to know. I would rather not know about what God is saying to me. They move toward God. And Mary, how about Mary? The angel shows up, Gabriel, and says, you're going to bear a son. There's a challenge for you when uh, you're a virgin and Mary says that. How will this be since I'm a virgin? Just immediately doesn't, do, doesn't run out of the tent. She goes and says, well, what do, you, what do you have for me? What are you saying? How often do we not run toward God in the middle of a challenge? The servants of God in Scripture we see often asking questions, grappling with what's happening. They do not run away in fear or say they don't want nothing to do with this revelation. They engage. That's what you do. That's what God wants. He wants our engagement. He wants us to be a part of this. But it's a choice to run toward him. And you can see it throughout Scripture and many times. It's a principle that's there. These people called as servants, they move toward God. Our enemy loves to, to separate us and draw people away. He, he tries to stop forward movement. And I guess I feel at times in the past that I'd rather just have a seat and go, I don't know if this is worth the fight, is it, Lord? And the Lord's had to teach me in, in various ways to get up and start moving again. Go back in the direction of God. Don't stay where you are. Moses did the same thing. In fact, in Moses, it's, very, it's even more curious in that particular story is because he saw the flaming bush and that's all he saw. And he said, that's, that's curious. I'm going to walk over to that. The angel in that case did not speak to him until he went to the bush. And that's generally what happens. He had to turn and go to see what it was. Then the Lord spoke. So what are we missing by not going in his direction? So servants of God move toward God. They walk toward him. I, sometimes I, I walk at, at night, take the doggy out. And as I'm walking, it's all dark, a few streetlights where we are. But you can see into people's windows sometimes, and most people have their their shades down and things like that. But there's one that doesn't. And I'm always intrigued. And I always look up at this third floor and I see a TV, a huge TV. I mean, it's like the wall. It's like a big, huge TV. And I see it up there and I see, and I'm always curious what I'm gonna see on the TV. Well, over, I would say the last few months I, that I've really been noticing it, it's the same thing. It's either a football game 
it's it's a extreme boxing those kinds of things I've seen on there I've seen a hockey match it's always there and it's on it seems like it's just always on this morning I went out it was still on I'm going to do they never turn off sports in this house you know I couldn't figure out what was going on but you know what I've I've been in a situation like that not quite to that extreme but somebody is sitting there watching that and they're not moving toward anything I have to say how many times have I sat and not moved toward anything having relating to the Lord. How, how many times have I just been stuck on the computer and looking or my phone or a TV? Nothing wrong with sports, nothing wrong with TV, nothing wrong with computers, nothing wrong with phones. It's all how they're used, obviously, and how God directs how we use them. But he's just sitting, whoever it is, and not moving. So part of the challenge in all of this is to get up and move because the Lord has us busy doing something. As a church, even more now than ever, he's gonna be calling us to do things for his glory. And it's gonna require movement, sacrifice sometimes. Uh, it's gonna require extra effort and various things that are just hard because we're taking on a very big challenge. We are entering into something that is beyond us, granted, beyond us. It's, it's not at all within our ability to do what God is calling us to do. Isn't that wonderful? I'm up for the challenge, and God seems to think we are too, <laughs> which is sometimes odd for me because I don't ever think I'm up to it, and then I go, okay, I'm up for it, and then God says, are you up for it? I, think, I said, I think I'm up for it. So... Moving toward God, this is critical. This is critical. Moving toward his voice, studying his word, listening to what he's saying, pursuing his presence. All of this is part of going to him. But at this point, Joshua, he didn't laugh. He didn't wrestle. He didn't argue. He's just there looking at this man with the sword drawn, and he went out to him. And he does what many of these servants do. He asks them a question. Are you for us? Are you for our adversaries? Great question. It confuses people because he's not really answering the question. It reminds me a little bit of how Jesus answered questions. They were sort of answered sometimes, but sometimes they were not directly the answer. And you had to sort of go like, what does this mean about it? Similar type of thing. He says, no. Well, that wasn't really the question was, no, are you for us? Or are you for our adversaries? He goes, well, no, I'm, I'm for neither one of you, actually. I'm here as the commander of the army of the Lord. Now I, and now I have come. The question was very interesting. I mean, he immediately was saying, by the way, I outrank you. <laughs> Joshua was a general too. Well, <laughs> apparently this general was at a higher rank. It's funny what rank does in the military. Rank is a, is a very important thing in military, which is why you see it there. It, you can't have a group of people without any authority over anything. Just, it doesn't work. It would cause chaos. But one of the most important things about rank is that the higher up you go, the more information you have about the battle and about the objective and the big picture for victory. They don't tell that to everybody underneath them. The generals know, here's what we're attempting to do. They communicate that to the, 
the majors and the colonels, and they do that to the, the first lieutenants, and they do that to their, their uh, groups of, of private and corporals and sergeants underneath them, and that's how it, it sort of goes. Each person has a part that they know. But the main people have all the information. That's what you really want in a battle. You really want someone who has all the information, can see every picture. Joshua certainly didn't have all information. By the way, Joshua had never, ever taken a, anything with walls. Never any of his battles were anything having to do with walls. So he's looking at this place and going like, okay, no siege works, no catapults, nothing to like build ramps with. What, uh, okay, Lord, so he's looking at this. This guy shows up. And he says, well, I'm the commander of the army of the Lord, and now have, I've, I've come. And it's, it says something very, very important. First, it says that, you know, we're outranked, and we want to be outranked. And it's very important that we understand who has all the information. But it also says something very important. The answer, no, I'm the command, no, but I'm the commander of the Lord, I have come. Joshua's trying to figure out what's going on in all of this. But it's interesting in that what the man is really saying is, I don't care about the enemy. I don't care really about you and two sides or being on one side or being your ally. I don't really care about that piece. I, I'm, I'm here because I'm in charge. And so that's good news. He really wasn't want to get down to, are you on our side? I really hope you're on our side. He's saying, I'm in charge of everything. So I come now, and he says, now I have come. Because, okay, it's pretty much a firm statement. I've come to be in charge of this battle. I'm here to be in charge. Joshua certainly wasn't expecting that. And so you have to put yourself in a situation where you're outranked, and someone's um, over you, and I've had this happen in work, and it's very hard to do when someone else comes into the situation. I had a boss, my first boss, you know, I'd be working on something on a drawing table just very intensely, and very serious about my, my work, and, and just, you know, and he would come over and he would look at it, and he would turn his head sideways like this. He would do this. I'd see him out of the corner of my eye, he's standing beside me. And then he would get closer and closer and closer and closer. And pretty soon I was off the chair and he was sitting in my chair doing my work. And it was humiliating in, a, in one way, but he was just saying, you know what? I'm in charge of this now. I don't want there to be any question. I'm in charge of this now. So I don't know if it was good leadership, but it certainly gave me the idea that he knew what he was doing, and he did when he did it, because he had a tremendous amount of experience. I learned a great deal from him. He had all the information, and I did not have all the information. So what Joshua is hearing here in this is this. I'm going to take the complete battle on for you. That's why I'm here. Now, what do we say? We go like, okay, well, this is great. We can work with, we can work with this. We can work with, I'm going to, I have my... Uh, idea here and, and this will be you know this will be good and we can bring in this and he's going no you don't understand <laughs> I have the plan and I'm here to make it happen isn't this what we do often gosh you know I hope God can help me with my idea when he has in reality a better idea he will use us to bring it to completion 
with an impact that's far beyond anything we could have hoped for. But we start off by going, gosh, I hope he can help me with my idea. How about we move completely off the chair and say, what's your idea? And work me in however you want to. But we're people. <laughs> we, we want to desperately have our own thoughts about things. And I'm learning that <laughs> that's not always the best way to do it as a servant of the Lord. And in fact, I'm learning the best way is to say, first, what's your plan? To ask that as the first question, not down the line a few months, but to say first, is this even going in the right direction? What, what do you think? Tell me, I want to engage, I'm going toward you, tell me. So this next thing we learn is this, he, God in this situation, and I think in our lives in general is saying, by the way, I'm here to take complete control. Doesn't mean we don't have a part, it just means we're giving him control. We're saying to him, okay, you tell me what to do and how to do it. I'm walking toward you, I want to know, I don't want to just kind of scoot around on the outside wondering, you know, about what you may think and what I want to be engaged. Tell me, just I here I am. Why play games? I want to know. I feel like I've wasted a lot of time trying to work out my ideas with a little bit of God's help. When he's saying, "Jim, I am actually here and I've come as the commander of the Lord and I'm here now to take on this task." and I'll use you in the middle of it if you'll move aside. But how does Joshua let him know <laughs> that he wants to take over the battle? How does Joshua say, okay, because it is a choice. It is something we choose to do is to say, okay, God, come on in. That's part of the preparation. If we're going to do the other part of the Jericho story, the wall fell down, the people went up into the city to take the actual location of Jericho, if we want that part, it's this other part that really makes the difference because this all happened on this chapter six. That all happened because that was God's idea and Joshua let him do it. He wanted God to do it. How do you let God know you want him to do it? Great idea, it's right here in scripture. Fall on your face and worship him. Okay, well that sounds like fun. Well, actually it could be. <laughs> it could be fun, very purposeful act. If you look at it, it says, after this, right exactly after this, no, but I'm the commander of verse 14, 514, army of the Lord, now I come, and Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshiped. That was his first response. That's how you let God know you want him to take over. That's weird, right? Is that the norm? That's really odd, but you know what? That's the way it is in scripture. Because we're odd people, right? We're not like everyone else. We are servants of the living God. Servants of the living God allow God to come in and do what he's to do. It shouldn't be a dreaded thing for us. Often, it is a dreaded thing for us. Oh man, I was thinking, oh God, what's he gonna do? I don't even know. He's got your interest in his mind and in his heart. So it's perfectly worth it to allow him to come in. And from a church point of view, from a leadership point of view, from taking over a, a city he's holding us to do, it, it really is the only way to do it. It's just too big of a, a too big of a, of a thing to not allow him to come in. 
So now he was at this place where he had to fall on his face and worship, and he immediately did this as a purposeful act, and he was saying to God, okay, absolutely. If you're coming to lead and take this over, I want this. This is what I want. He let him know immediately that this is what he wanted. He fell on his face and he worshiped. And of course, this is about as low as you can get being on the ground. In that culture, it's a position of a slave or a person acknowledging the complete superiority of another. That's what it is. So do we have to fall on our face? It's, it, I mentioned this before, I think in a sermon a little while ago, and a few people told me they actually did it. Try it. In our culture, do it when you're alone. You know, people will think you're crazy. But do it when you're completely alone. And if you've never done this, get on your face, laying down before the Lord, and tell him you love him, you worship him, you want to give him glory, you want him to be in charge. See what that feels like. It's, it's quite the experience. So try it if you haven't. I don't always do that. I rarely do that in reality, but I kneel a lot to say to him, take hold of my day, right on my couch, right in my living room. Lord, I'm kneeling before you. But the act of just doing that is an act of purpose. It's an act where I'm saying to him, I'm acknowledging your superiority and I want you to be in charge. By the way, Joshua had no instruments. I'm sure he wasn't on the ground singing. What was he doing? He was worshiping on the ground, face down. And what did that mean? It basically meant he was acknowledging the superiority of another. Isn't that a basis for worship? Isn't that why we're actually worshiping? Isn't that why we're giving him all the glory and honor which he deserves and we're acknowledging that he deserves it? I feel like sometimes I'm fighting that and I have to step back and go, why am I fighting that? He is God. Why am I trying to be God? when he has already done a very, very good job. So, no, but I'm the commander of the army of the Lord. Now I've come. And Joshua fell on his face or worshiped and said to him, what does my Lord say to my servant? So there he is again. He's asking a question. He's grappling with what's going on, which is what we do when we move toward God. We ask questions. We ask, Lord, what are you doing now? What is happening now? We don't back away and kind of like going, all right, I have no idea what's happening. We ask him. And this is exactly what's in Scripture. What does the Lord say to me? What does my Lord say to my servant? Which is a courageous thing to say. Seems simple, but for some of us, a very courageous thing to say. Lord, what do you have to say to me? What, what is it? What do, you, what do you want to say to me? Not tell me what to do today, although it's a great thing to pray. This is what do you want to say to me? It sort of opens the window up for him to say anything to you. And he might say it through scripture reading. He might say it in another way, through a prophecy. He may say it in something someone says to you, in a worship song. He speaks in so many ways. But the idea is you've turned to him and you've said, okay, what, what, Lord, what do you have to say to your servant? And it's his servant, Joshua says. And he uses the word servant. That's key. And I don't know whether you use that about yourself or not, but in this whole scenario of, of letting him know that you're wanting him to take over, knowing you're a servant is key. And considering yourself a servant is key. Thinking of yourself 
as in need of a master. It's weird for some of us. Our culture hates it. It's the reality of the, of the book. So it's there throughout scripture. We are his servant. We worship him. We glorify him. We acknowledge his superior superiority. And then it says this, the commander, he asked what he said to do. So, so this is, again, this is preparation before everything happened. Oh, you know, I gave you the thing that happened first, but this is all the preparation. And he says, what does my Lord say to his servant? And the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, take off your sandals from your feet for the place you are standing is holy. For the place you are standing is holy. That's interesting, isn't it? Why, why would he have said that right then? In, in the case of Moses and uh, when he said, take your shoes off, take your sandals off, when he saw the burning bush, the angel was speaking to him. He said also the same thing, this place is holy. It, it's holy because in these two instances, the person talking to you is holy. And you've got to respect the fact that you're in his land, that you're in his presence. And so you're acknowledging that by taking off your sandals. The other thing it's representative of is you're really a priest before God. You're barefoot in a very holy place. That's a wonderful analogy uh, for us. Take off your sandals for the place you are standing is holy. Joshua's not making it holy. It is holy because God is there. And lastly, it says this, and Joshua did so. It's our last point. <laughs> Obedience. Key, key, key in this. Not anywhere in this is they're arguing or wrestling or <laughs> laughing. Joshua did so. Obedience. It's just obedience. It's just what we do in the process of our preparation. And the Lord then goes before us to be able to do what he's calling us to do. This is a completely impossible task. The very, very last thing I want to tell you is in 6.2. And it's out of that section. It's in the fall of Jericho section. But it really is part of the preparation. And it said this. Jericho was all shut up inside and outside. First of all, completely impossible. We mentioned that. None went out, none came in. The picture is of uh, the impossible. And here's what he says to uh, Joshua about all this. And the Lord said to Joshua, he says, see? Now he's saying see, right? He's, he's looking at what he just said was impossible. God is saying, this is, this is, by the way, this is impossible to do. You can't, there's no possible way you can do this. He's just making it true. He's just saying what it is. This is impossible. So if you want to get in there, there's one way. And he says this, see, I'm giving Jericho into your hand. Is he taking it? No. He's waiting to receive what God gives him. Is he still got a part in it? Absolutely, he still has a part in it. That's always going to be the case. We're not going to sit back and go like, well, I, I hope when the city is won, God lets us know. <laughs> it's not the way it works because he's concerned about us. In our part in all of this, our learning, our growth, our belief, our faith, on and on and on, he's working with all of us at different places 
and we're all in this together to do what he's called us to do. That's the fun part. There's one at one point the Lord said to the pastoral team about what we were doing, and he he said, "Why would you miss all this fun?" And I sometimes I feel that that's sort of what it is. This is this is really the fun part. After 35 years of ministry, there's been a lot of things that have not been so much fun. But you know what? This seems fun to me. This seems like this is impossible. God's going to do it. And so we might as well enjoy it. Become part of it. Be with him as he goes to do this. The Lord said to Joshua, See, I've given Jericho into your hand with its king, its mighty men of valor. And then he tells them, the plan about how to do it. See, I've given Jericho into your hand. So this last thing is this, is seeing through God's eyes in this is critical. It's critical because all we're going to see is a shut up inside and outside gray stone building, which had the tallest walls. It was the most secure place in all of that area very, very tall walls, thick walls. It was not a place that you could just say, you know what, I'm, gonna, I'm hoping that I can knock this down by doing this, that, and it was impossible to get into. There was no other way to look at it except through God's eyes to say, okay, I see what you want us to do. I see what you want us to do. I see what you want us to do to take this city. I see it. It's, it's, it's in my mind. I know that I can see it. It's impossible. And now we switch over and we go, Lord, show it to us through your eyes. Show it through your eyes. What, what do we, how do we do this? What do we do if we're, we're trying to see it? Because you're going to just give it. You just gave it to them. You just, you just said, I'm going to do this and I'm going to put it into your hands. And so it comes back to all the things we just talked about. What do we do? How do we do it? It's seeing through his eyes, knowing that he can do it, we can't. And then it's doing all of these things we talked about as preparations. It's preparation for you and for me. It's the things that of God and how we deal with him and how we believe in him and how we humble ourselves before him and how we let him empower us. All those things are the key. The marching out, blowing the horns, walking around the building had to be done. God said they had to do that too. But the key was all the preparation that was going to be done through Joshua. And he passed that along to the people. I know. And you don't hear anybody complaining and saying, we're not going to do it. If you look <laughs> at the first time they tried to enter the land, that's quite a story. So let me end with this. Where the city center is, there used to be a tire center. <laughs> I don't even know what the name of the tire center is. Anyway, it was a low concrete building. It was filled with tires. I, they had a base where you could bring in the cars and change the tires. And it was, it, was, it was just really the ugliest building. But it was right in the middle of town. I had mentioned it to Linda a few times. And, I said, boy, that would be a great place. So there was points in our ministry where all I was doing was like looking over and over at every single building we passed and saying like, could that be it? Could that be it? Could that be it? And so praying, you know, I, I, 
I went throughout White Plains standing in places across from buildings and praying for them to be ours. In fact, I did that for 214. And not that I did it, everybody was praying at that point for that particular building, but I stood outside and looked at it. And I said, okay, I'm just gonna pray for this to be ours. But early on, I really didn't know what I was doing whatsoever. I was just seeing things in scripture and I'm going like, you know what, Joshua, he went around seven times around this and he got the city. And so I'm going like, well, would that work for this building? And so I said, well, what's it gonna hurt? People, what, what could they say? They're gonna say, well, who's the crazy guy walking around the building over and over and over again? But I did, I went there and I walked around the building seven times and I claimed it for the Lord. Did we ever have that building? <laughs> no, we didn't. And you don't wanna know why? I was not prepared in any way possibly to even have the building much less do what was necessary to get the building, which was to ask the Lord for the building directly. Because I thought it was things that had to happen. And it really is never things. It's who we are doing what we need to do to make sure the Lord is uh, the first in our life and put to a point so high that we are always his servant, always listening, always wanting to hear from him, wanting to know what he wants us to do, and not putting our desire on top of him, saying, Lord, do this and do this. doesn't work. So over many years, we've learned a lot of lessons about these types of things. And now we're at a point where I think the Lord is saying to us, Jim, it's not a concrete tire building anymore. But I feel like he said, good try. Now it's the whole city. Okay, so the board seems to be behind this and the pastoral team and we're all praying and we're moving ahead and trying to figure out what God is saying about doing this actually. So are you ready for an adventure? That's what this is going to be. Would you bow your heads? Father, we thank you and we praise you for the possibility that we could serve you. We acknowledge ourselves as your servants, Lord, each of us on this call. We acknowledge we are your servants. And Lord, we do just thank you that you have the desire to work with us, as you've told us, Lord, to do this thing that is larger than us. And why, Lord? Because if it's larger than us, you will get all the glory. And Lord, that's our desire, that we would be moved out of the way, that the spotlight is only on you. But we are thankful that as servants, we could be here as you do it, and that you would use us as you choose. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. So uh, as I talk about taking a city, obviously, right, we're not talking about a building. It's too big for a building. We're talking about people acknowledging God as their Savior, as their God, growing in Him, becoming disciples, having transformed lives. It's bigger than a building. So I could have gotten that entire building and it wouldn't have made really any difference whatsoever. It's not about a building. We always need a place to worship and to pray and to 
have community and we'll have that. But the taking of this city is the people. They're the ones that God is concerned about. They're the ones whose hearts need to be changed and, and uh, transformed to see who he really is. That's our mission. That's why we're here. That's what we do. And I'm happy to be doing it with all of you. So be blessed. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. And I pray this in the name of the Lord Jesus, the Prince of Peace, our God and our Savior. Amen. Thanks for listening. After hearing the message today, if you'd like to start a relationship with Jesus or rededicate your life to him, why not do it now? Pray with me right where you are. Lord Jesus, I turn from going my own way, and I choose to follow you. Forgive me for my sins. I thank you for dying on the cross to cover them and rising again from the dead. I choose now to live for you, and I receive your life into mine. Amen. If you prayed with us, get in touch through our contact page at westchesterchapel.org. There you can find more information on how to grow in your faith and where we meet. We'd love to have you join us.